We are in Peter's first letter, chapter number three, and we are ready for verse number eight as we begin today. Peter has been encouraging people to live the Christian life. He has focused in on some relationships and aspects that are of importance, like our need to submit to the authorities of government, uh, the need of slaves, or by extension into our modern period, of employees to submit to our masters or our employers, and uh, the need of wives to be the submitting partner in the family partnership, the husband-wife partnership, and husbands to be thoughtful and considerate in their part of that relationship. Now he kind of expands it outward to this is how everybody needs to be acting. He says this in uh, 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, he's not done. He's, he's got a little ways to go yet before he finishes this letter. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind. So get on the same page. Uh, imagine that Peter had read chapter 4 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which focuses on the need to maintain the unity in the, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So let's have this unity of mind, get on the same page, God's page, Sympathy, which is literally feeling along with. Uh, sympathy is finding that common attitude and understanding with other people. And we do need to be sympathetic and empathetic uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, brotherly love uh, we have this commonness uh, with other people who have been saved by the blood of Christ, uh, and we need to care about them. We would want what's best for them. And then a tender heart. Uh, that's an interesting way that the English Standard Version has gone with this. Uh, it's, um, it's a Greek expression of the guts, good guts, um, because, you know, the feeling, the emotional feeling that you have about other people uh, does, it, it feels like it's centered down there uh, below your belly button, right? Uh, and so he says, you need to have this feeling toward other people where you're touched by what's going on in their lives. Uh, the Gospels, talk about how Jesus saw the people that were coming to him with their, their illnesses and their demon possessions and their worries about this thing or the other thing, uh, and they were like sheep scattered on the mountain. And uh, the scripture says that Jesus, his, his guts went out to them, his, his splunkna reacted to them. That's the word here. That's what we need. When we see people going through the rough times, it should touch us still. 
especially if they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And then this last word, and a humble mind. Um, understanding that, you know, it's not all about us. It, it's about other people. Uh, we've got, again, Peter reading Paul's writings uh, and, and constantly being reminded that we need to be thinking about other people ahead of ourselves. If we are only about us, we have got a serious problem. Verse number nine, speaking of which, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. I have heard people say, and some of them very prominent, when people do things to me, I do it back twice as hard. That is not a Christian mindset. In fact, that is an anti-Christian mindset. It is the antithesis of what Jesus taught. Uh, Jesus taught that instead of doing bad things to our enemy, in retaliation, basically, we are to do good things to our enemy. So there is no room for this bad attitude in Christianity. Those who have that I'm going to get even, in fact, I'm going to do worse, those are very immature, if at all, uh, Christians. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, that is, talking down against people. But on the contrary, bless for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So we are not to be out there cursing people or causing people to be cursed. We are out there as Christians representing Jesus Christ to a fallen world, trying to help them find him so that they can be blessed by his death and resurrection, just like we were. Verse 10 uh, has a quote uh, from the Old Testament, Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16, uh, something that Peter's probably memorized. For, quote, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So we can already see that this New Testament teaching is actually Old Testament. God has always said, it's not about getting even. It's not about getting ahead at the, at the cost of other people. It is about doing what is best for others. The best way we can get ahead in life is by helping out other people. Verse 12 continues with the quote, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Uh, that last line, by the way, is represented in other passages as God does not hear the prayers of the unrighteous. And that would include those that claim to be his people but are not based on how they act. 
So God is watching. He is the supervisor. He is the overwatcher of everyone on planet Earth throughout all of history. So he knows everything that's been going on. He knows even the thoughts that pop up in our hearts. And so God wants to see us, who are Christians, acting like him. He wants to hear us, who are Christians, acting like him, speaking like him. And it will be only those who are in that category that God is on the side of. Uh, God will be a resistor against those who do not do things his way. And so this, this, is a, this is definitely something that needs to be fixed in our modern, Western, specifically modern Christian in America society. We have got to quit acting like it's okay to be mean and nasty and say bad things to and about other people just because that's the way they are to us. That has never been the teaching of God, ever. And so, brothers and sisters, if you've engaged in that sort of stuff, here's the message of Scripture. Repent. Change the way you think about it. And uh, having changed the way you think about it, then quit doing it. Memorize passages like this uh, that will help you resist the temptation uh, to fall back into that default behavior uh, of, the, of the fallen world. And if you know of people who claim to be Christians that are acting in this way, take them aside, call them on the carpet, help them repent and come back to acting like Jesus. Verse number 18. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? That's a, I think it's a rhetorical question. You know, who out there is looking to, to take you down just because you did something nice uh, for somebody else? Uh, th- that's just hard for us to comprehend that anybody would be that hateful toward good behavior that they would do that. Now, we do know that there are some people that have. I mean, Jesus was a victim of people that were persecuting him because of him doing good things. Uh, But uh, for, you know, the generic, uh, you should expect that people will respond well to you doing nice things to and for them. Verse number 14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. You may not be blessed by them, but you'll be blessed by God. God sees everything that we do, and he will keep an accounting of that. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So don't worry about these people that react negatively to your Christian lifestyle. And there will be people. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I had one guy that I served in the Air Force with uh, when we were deployed uh, to the Middle East uh, for uh, Desert Shield, which turned into Desert Storm. He was particularly mean and spiteful and had a bad attitude toward me. 
just because I was a Christian. And uh, no matter what nice things I might do back to him, he was just, he was a pill. Uh, but you know what? You just got to go with the flow. You've just got to let it come off you like uh, water off a duck's back, if you will. So Peter says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have no fear of the people like that. Don't be troubled by them. Just do this, verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So keep yourself focused on Jesus. Keep yourself focused on what Jesus did for you and what you know he's done for everybody else. Keep yourself focused on doing things his way. And then also keep this. This is, this is part of our natural evangelistic mode. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. So we as Christians, as Peter has been teaching us, we are supposed to be living these godly lives. Godly lives in face of, uh, of the government, in, in face of our relationship uh, with our master or our, our uh, slave owner or our employer, uh, godly lives in the face of our situation in the family that we're part of. No matter what we're doing, we do it all for Jesus. And it is likely that somewhere along the way, someone's going to ask us, why do you do it that way? Those people are mistreating you and you're still being nice to them. Those people said horrible things to you and you still tried to do something nice for them. Why? Why are you doing that? And that gives us the opportunity to say, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. And that's why I live my life for him every single day. And he taught me that no matter what anybody else does, I should do the right thing. Let me tell you and introduce you to my Lord Jesus because he wants you to. And so that, that should be our standby mode. Always ready to share the story of Jesus. And then Peter throws this little modifier in there. He says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The gentleness word is the word for meekness, which we've talked about before. It's the idea of power under control. So we are to share the gospel in a gentle fashion, uh, not a coming down on people like a ton of bricks, you know, jumping on them with both feet and, you know, stamping them into the ground. You must repent or else. We've got to do it thinking what's best for them. You know, what's the best way of helping them come to a relationship? And also the respect part. It's literally the word for fear. And it's probably a response toward how we think about God. You know, everything we do, we need to do it fearing God showing him respect, making sure that we represent him properly. But there's also the idea of respecting that other person. You know, we, we've seen that in Peter's writing already, that uh, we are supposed to treat people with honor. You know, not being mean and spiteful and hateful and 
um, all the other negative uh, sorts of ways that we could talk about a relationship. Uh, because the idea of the Christian life is to um, help other people come to the Christian life. Verse 16, having a good conscience. You know, uh, conscience has to do with you know, understanding we're doing the right thing, the right way. So having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, you know, people are going to talk down about you in your Christian lifestyle. There's just no doubt about that. I mentioned the guy that I served in the Air Force with, but there are other circumstances, like uh, I was writing letters on a regular basis while I was in undergraduate, excuse me, at graduate school uh, on the topic of abortion. I was constantly writing in to the local um, uh, newspaper, to the letters of the editor. And I had determined at the beginning I was going to do this not from a Christian standpoint, but I was going to offer things from a more generic viewpoint, not mentioning Christianity or the Bible or anything like that. And there were people that wrote in and slammed me as a Bible thumper and a, and a Christian dictator and all this stuff. And I'm like, I never mentioned anything about Scripture. I never mentioned the Bible. I never mentioned my Christian faith. You made assumptions along that line and negative assumptions. All I wanted to do was uphold the value of life from conception onward. And so I was being slandered in a way uh, in that, uh, but it was appropriate. I was fine with that, and uh, I think Peter would be too. He says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, when people do start calling you a Bible thumper or uh, you know, a, a goody two-shoes and things like this. You already know it's their overreaction to the fact that you've been living the appropriate, measured Christian lifestyle in front of them. So when you are slandered, slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So when they accuse you of, you know, having bad intentions and meanness and spitefulness, that, no, the evidence of your lifestyle indicates that that's not true. Uh, you know, in modern times, uh, Christians are often accused of being homophobic uh, or some other phobia, uh, uh, transphobia, uh, just because we disagree with certain lifestyles uh, that God wants to see something different than that. Uh, now, hopefully, we have communicated the love of God amidst all of that uh, so that when we are accused of being mean and spiteful, that all the evidence shows otherwise, that it's actually a matter of of concern that we are showing. Uh, verse 17, Peter says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So again, a good reminder, don't get yourself in trouble legitimately. You know, breaking the law. You know, when you get pulled over by that state trooper and he presents you with a ticket, do not under any circumstances say that you are being, you know, you're suffering uh, for your Christianity. No, you're not. You're suffering for breaking the law, and justly so. 
Go pay the ticket and quit it. Um, instead, if we're going to suffer for something, we need to suffer for living the right lifestyle um, and people punishing us for that. Uh, you know, we here in America, we have not, by any stretch of the imagination, suffered like our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in other regions of the world, uh, where they can be burned alive or uh, drowned uh, or beaten to death uh, just for having a Bible or for saying that Jesus is the son of the living God. Uh, we here in America don't understand true persecution. Not really. And so we need to be praying uh, for our, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering for doing good. Now, speaking of suffering, verse 18, Jesus is always the example. For Christ also suffered once for sins. So Jesus, at God the Father's direction, interacted in history on a certain date and died on the cross for our sins. He suffered before and during that process, physically and spiritually. He did it once, never to be repeated. The righteous for the unrighteous, because he was righteous and he was doing it for us, the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So he did all of that for us. He died so that we could die to sin with him. And then he resurrected again so that we, in the Spirit, might be resurrected to the newness of life, to be born again and to live holy as he is holy. Again, the Colossians, uh, excuse me, the Galatians 2.20 passage, the life which I now live, I live for the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. Great basic Christian teaching. Now, in phrasing that last part, where he says that Jesus was made alive again in the Spirit, uh, the phrase could perhaps be better translated, made alive again by the Spirit, capital letter S, Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and Because verse number 19 jumps on that idea of the Holy Spirit's activity in the gospel story, which is to resurrect Jesus uh, on that uh, first day of the week, and then says that same Holy Spirit was involved in another project. Verse 19, in which, or more specifically, I think it should be, by whom he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. And I think we need to add a modifier of time here, now in prison. That'll become obvious later. Uh, Jesus, let's make this very clear. 
Jesus did not, according to some stories that are out there, go to Hades during you know that time period between the crucifixion and the resurrection and preach to the people that were detained in Hades. That is not what this story is about. This story is about how many years previous to the gospel story, there was another gospel that was preached. And that was a gospel that was preached by the power of the Holy Spirit to the world by Noah. And in a nutshell, it was basically this. Repent and get in the ark or you will drown and be lost. That was the gospel back at that time. And so when Peter is writing this, he's saying, you know, the Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead also was active in preaching to those spirits that are now imprisoned in Hades, verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. So those guys are now waiting in Hades, condemned and lost, because they didn't pay attention when they were alive to the gospel preaching of Noah. While the ark was being prepared, and we don't know exactly how long uh, the uh, gospel preaching of Noah went on. I was always taught 120 years when I was a kid, but uh, since then I've seen the studies in the New Testament, uh, excuse me, in the Old Testament uh, wording there and understand that that's actually a limit on how long humans would eventually live. Uh, it would be a limit of about 120 years. But during all that time, only a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So Peter's, Peter's introduction here is, the Holy Spirit who resurrected Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit who several thousand years earlier had worked through the gospel preacher Noah in trying to get the people of the world before the flood to repent and get in the ark and be saved, but only eight people acted on the offer of salvation. That was Noah, Mrs. Noah, their three boys that were still at home, apparently, and their three wives or fiancés, eight people in all. That's all that were saved. Only they came safely through the waters of the flood. Now, that wording introduces another thing that Peter wants to talk to, which we'll get back to next time we're in the Word.